Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune, ahead of Steelers Week. It's a short week. Mike, Ben, you guys should be able to shed that Lions loss as quickly as the Vikings want to. Just trying to go one to know on the Steelers season. <laughs> uh, I feel like this one, Ben, is going to stick around a little bit longer than the three days the Vikings would like to move on from it. Um, even if they find a way to win. as a way of trolling us with the P.J. Fleck quote that he's going to win this freaking bet again. Tacos are looking good, baby. Tacos are looking good. It's what possible. Eight? Anything is possible. Eight, eight with the possibility of nine in the bowl game. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think we're going to be paying out tacos. <laughs> I didn't think about that. So wait, what was the Gophers' win total? They're eight. They're, they have eight right now after they beat Wisconsin. Then they've got West Virginia in the guaranteed rate game. I give you guys. We we kept the bowl game in this year as a concession for the fact that there was a 17th NFL game this year, which gave you improved odds, I think, on an already lengthier season. You yeah, got the but, bowl game on 16 games, too, so don't act like you're doing it. I did, I did but, but, but you guys were upset about that, and so there was kind of like a, that was like a negotiation point, but we, we kept it in this time. And that was, 2019 was a great year for the Taco Bet, not just I, not because I won it, but because it was so you competitive. Kept, you kept the bowl game in, and we didn't get the playoff win. That's it was, I was so com- good about it, but those were terms. But it was it was very competitive. It was both teams were it was back and forth, and I feel like this one still has the possibility for a tie or even a Vikings win. We'll just have to see. And for listeners, pay out anyway. For listeners who are unfamiliar with this uh, bet, the the bet is the loser has to buy tacos for the winner, and the bet was which team in town, Gopher football, Vikings football, would get the most wins on the season, and they were just going back and forth, obviously on the minutia. Whether or not the Gophers guaranteed rate bowl counts in this, and it does. We already came to that term. Um, you guys, this Viking Steelers game to segue feels like a guaranteed rate NFL game, uh, if it were to be sponsored by something. Um, it just we're not going to spend a lot of time breaking down, you know, the matchups and, and all that kind of stuff because Vikings are coming off a loss that sticks with head coaches, sticks with regimes, uh, one that is really hard and takes more than just a, a Thursday night win to move on from. Because even if they do, they will still be below 500 and looking up at the rest of the conference. So we're going to spend some time talking about um, certainly some of the injuries, who's going to be available for that game. We'll answer some questions in the mailbag. We'll also talk about Anthony Barr's career, as it seems to be coming to an end in Minnesota, as he's set to be a free agent after this year. He was named the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee for the Vikings this year. Uh, Ben wrote about that. We'll have a discussion just about his playing career. Uh, and as well, some, some of the stuff off the field, too, with him. Um, and then talk some big picture stuff that needs to be talked about about this team um, right now in Mike Zimmer's eighth year. But, uh, guys, we'll start a little bit with going into Thursday night's game. This defense is going to get some pieces back. Patrick Peterson was activated off the COVID list on Tuesday. Anthony Barr says he's playing on Thursday night. And then Eric Kendricks was practicing as well and looks like he's going to be set to come back on Thursday night. So Mike, we, Ben and I talked about this uh, from Detroit. So I want to get your thoughts on, on the Detroit loss and how much of an excuse you could possibly lean on when it comes to that defense being injured, considering it was against Jared Goff 
uh, and considering that, hey, you still had some pieces there on defense, um, what, where, where do you put the excuse meter on, on that as far as that loss for them? I mean, I think injuries, they're a part of football. I think, Ben, you wrote about this too. The Vikings have been less impacted by injuries than maybe some other teams this year. Wasn't there a stat that you had within the last week where they've had like the ninth lowest impact relating to yes. injuries um, yep. among yep. NFL teams this year? So everybody, everybody's going to have injuries. Now, the Vikings have seemed to have them in bunches and at key positions. And you can certainly use that as, an ex, as, a, as a partial explanation for what happened, especially on, you know, on defense and on offense. You didn't have Christian Derrissaw. You decide to you know, completely remake your offensive line because you're missing one guy, and that was a mistake. Um, but you, know, you can point to that as an injury that altered what happened Sunday. And certainly on defense, when you're missing you know, both of your best your two best linebackers your best cover corner and still your two starting defensive ends or your two preferred defensive ends that's a that's a big chunk of your playmakers but ultimately you're playing a winless team i don't think you know if if, if coaches are going to be sincere about saying we don't use injuries as an excuse i think the baseline for that is against a winless team so i, I put that more on how they executed in that game. And, and frankly, a lot of the decisions that Zimmer made in that game. I think when you're playing that team and 10 other teams have beat them already, I would submit that there's probably at least a couple of those 10 teams that have had a lot of injuries. In fact, I know there's one that has a lot of injuries because one of them is the green Bay Packers who, according to that stat have had more injury impact than any team in the NFL yet we're still able to find a way to beat the Lions. Um, one of them is the Vikings, who had, I think, a couple of, not quite to the same degree, but we're fighting some injuries by week five. Um, didn't have Michael Pierce, among others, and beat the Lions the first time. So if you make a stop at the end of the game on any one of those 14 plays, you aren't having this conversation. So, no, I, I don't think the injuries are a valid exit door on this one. And this is, this is one of those losses that gets people fired as we, as Andrew and I talked about after the game. And uh, if it keeps you from making the playoffs, I think it's going to be hard to, to wear that one at whatever point they have to account for it. Yeah. And Ben, what do you make of the lack of aggressiveness from Mike Zimmer? Now that we've had a couple of days to go back over that lions game. I mean, just the fact that even Dan Campbell put voice to it. I think he was asked on Monday, like, were you surprised that they kind of sat back and let you march down the field? And Dan Campbell said, knowing Zimmer. Yeah, I was surprised. I was expecting more pressure. So um, when Mike brings up Mike or Michael Rand brings up the questionable calls and decisions by Zimmer, I think that to me floats to the top. You know what it reminded me of, and and this is not going to be an example that anybody wants to hear, but what it reminded me of was covering the Gophers way back when, when it was Glenn Mason, and the number of times where it was rush three, drop eight at the end of some of those games, and they just brought no pressure. They would go from Greg Hudson, the old defensive coordinator, calling for pressure for a lot of the game, and then it's the last drive, and you go into that shell and allow teams to just kind of dink and dunk their way down the field. I mean, that, that was the thing that was perplexing about it is Jared Goff is not good under pressure. The eye test certainly says that looking at the numbers, he is not 
been very good when he's had pressure on his face. He throws interceptions. He doesn't process things terribly quickly. In fact, we heard Mike Zimmer almost kind of smirk about that when golf was a rookie and or in his first year as a starter, I guess, and they played the, the Rams in 2017. He almost kind of seemed to be making light of golf's ability to read defense and process things on the fly, given the amount of help the Rams were giving him from the sideline back then. So the fact they didn't bring more or the fact that they weren't able to even get home with four at the times that they did it was, I think, what cost them in that spot. I mean, and it, it, I think in the end, Mike Zimmer alluded to it after the game, it stemmed from a lack of confidence in what they had on the back end. They needed to protect their corners because they didn't trust those corners to be able to get the job done. And that is indicative of a bigger problem because you're back in this spot where you were at the beginning of the Zimmer regime, where you don't trust your corners. You don't have people that can get the job done. You're blowing games late in part because of that. And that was the theme of that season that got Leslie Frazier fired. They blew games at the end. Their corners weren't good enough to make plays at the end of games, or really for a lot of games, but certainly at the end. And they, I think, ended up blowing five leads in the last minute that year. Cost Leslie Frazier his job. It may end up being the thing that is the Achilles heel the rest of the way for this team. Certainly has been to this point. Yeah, it's a good parallel to that 2013 season. Because if you think of any year where the results came out of the wire like this, where they lost this many of them, um, that that would be the year they went five, ten, and one that year. I think, right? Yeah. Um, yep. When yeah. Aiden and, probably would have won the division. Yeah, and then that year started with that Soldier that field, Soldier Field loss, that you know, touchdown up at the end. Anyway, yeah, I remember all that is coming back now because it's a good parallel to this to this season and. Um, the end of that game was just, yeah, it was perplexing. It was the corners hadn't been playing well, but Xavier Woods, I thought, remember he got beat, I think on that, it seemed like he got beat or one of the people that got beat on the Brock Wright touchdown early in the game. And then was the guy who was also in position next to Dantzler at the end there. And, and we talked to Xavier Woods today at TCO Performance Center, and he wasn't offering any insight on that final player who was supposed to do what. Um, but either way, him and Dancer were so far off that guy that it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't matter which one was at fault because somebody should have been there inside challenging him. Um, and then nobody was in Goff's face that entire drive. So it speaks to, as Ben wrote about too, a larger dilemma um, that they face on defense where you're not going to get, you'll get Kendricks and Barr back. Maybe you're going to get Peterson back. Um, but Daniel Hunter's not coming back. Everson Griffin's not that pass rush that you can typically lean on in those situations, a four man pass rush. They're not going to be able to get it. And so when Zimmer talks about manufacturing it, it has to be through these blitz schemes. One of the only pressures they got in that game against Jared Goff was a three man defensive line where Blake Lynch was the fourth rusher and they ran a twist. Yep. And it's like, they're going to have to start doing things like that where they just For take his the first stack, right? I think so. I think so. It, it, if it wasn't, it was, it was just a similar pressure where they're going to have to do things where they basically take defensive linemen off the field to get pressure in these situations because they don't have the guys right now. And I, I noticed too, in that game, whenever Pearson Tomlinson took a breather, that's when Jamal Williams would get the run game going. That's when they would lose the line of scrimmage. And that's when, like when you already have no depth and then you lose half your starters, the guys that were coming in probably shouldn't even be on an NFL field. And so and it looked to me, Ben, like Zimmer was coaching scared a little bit. Like he knew, like, all right, if I just back off, 
I, I can put the resources and coverage and I'm just going to bet on Jared Goff making a mistake that he never made. Well, I mean, the, the idea of playing not to win too, and this is going to be another strange parallel, but I'll make it. We hear that all of the time about the U.S. men's soccer team in big international matches, which stems from we don't have the guys to match up with the teams that we're playing. I mean, you see this in the World Cup when they make it to the round of 16 or whatever. They, I remember that happening, I think, against Germany. Back when um, they made the World Cup. Yeah, back when they made it. And they see Germany or Brazil or whoever, and it's this, well, maybe we can luck into winning one nothing, or we can get the penalty kicks or whatever. That is from a fundamental place of we don't have the dudes to match up. When you're saying that against the Detroit Lions, that is a deeper and more concerning problem than the game plan on Sunday. It reflects we have missed on draft picks along that defensive line for years. They have not hit on guys that turn into difference makers in that group for really since Daniel Hunter. And they haven't taken guys up front, but they have missed on those guys left and right. I heard again this week that Mike Zimmer, when they traded back in the first round of that draft to get Christian Derrissaw, the reason he was so upset, uh, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I heard it again this week, it was, I don't need 15 seventh round picks. I need dudes who can play right now. And you remember those pass rushers went off the board, Quiddy Pay and, and Jalen Phillips. And the Vikings like both of those guys. So they've missed on those types of players. They've missed on corners at the top of the draft. It, it has become, I think, almost a bit of a, a Sophie's choice for Mike Zimmer where I have to sort of decide where I leave myself exposed. And some of that is coaching, but some of it is also talent. And they have got themselves in a spot where there's not a lot of good answers. I mean, Ben, we'll probably talk about this in a little bit as we talk big picture, but that speaks to a good notion that as we think a lot of the talk, this, you know, talk right after the game was Mike Zimmer and his job status, because that's what happens when a head coach, you know, maybe makes some questionable decisions and loses to an 0 and 10 and one team. But, you know, if we're talking about a roster that, you know, before Ben enumerated it, I was going to jump in and say, that sounds like a Rick Spielman problem. Um, it this isn't just a Mike Zimmer got, you know, out coached or is having some struggles this season problem. This is a roster that is getting older and hasn't replaced enough of those guys with difference makers to the point that they had to go out and sign a bunch of veteran free agents this year who have been a little hit or miss. So it's just, you know, we can talk about this more down the road in a little bit, but it does speak to the idea of if changes are going to be made, uh, I, I don't think it start I don't think it stops with the head coach. Well, and also I think a big part of this too is we're talking about the defense and the defense is what has let them down so much. They have one of the younger offenses, I think one of the youngest offenses in the NFL. And that's actually where they've been overturning guys more often. I mean, we've talked about maybe they let Kyle Rudolph stick around a year or two too long, but on defense is where they've really tried to, you latch onto the Anthony bars, you latch onto the Harrison Smiths. Um, the only guys they didn't, Anthony Harrison, Eric Wilson, um, they haven't been able to necessarily replace them. I thought Xavier Woods had one of his worst games as a Viking on Sunday. And you, you got no depth there, and then you latch onto the guys that just haven't been able to keep their careers at that same peak. Really, Eric Kendricks and Daniel Hunter are the only two guys that they've kind of, well, and Harrison Smith, I guess. But the, the, those three guys at those three levels of what they tried to build around, 
Um, but everything around that from, from bar um, to the defensive lineman Pierce being injured, um, they just have not been able to maintain that. And then the bet on the fact that they could develop Wanham or Weatherly, keep him in there or Griffin being that magical answer at the other defensive end spot that just evaporated. Um, it, it just hasn't been, it hasn't been a good plan for them long-term and they haven't been able to, as Ben said, develop any kind of guy who comes up in that pipeline, whether you're missing on the Jalen Holmes, the Jaleel Johnson's, um, all these late round picks that they think, well, our coaching is going to develop another Daniel Hunter. Um, it's, it's a hubris that's born out of, from a front office perspective, born seemingly from a defensive minded coaching staff that is supposed to be creating this pipeline that just isn't. And, and so I do think that it's a good example of how it speaks to this broader issue that goes through the entire organization because they, the pass rushers they passed on in the first round also include, they could have had Gregory Russo who went to Buffalo and has been making yep. a difference there. Um, Owe, uh, Jason Owe, who went to, to Baltimore has been making a difference there later went in the first round as well. Um, and instead they took a, an offensive tackle whom they were convinced was surgically repaired in January and turns out eh, he wasn't. And so it's just one thing after another that, that kind of added to this issue for them this year. And that pipeline really went dry on them. Well, and it, it becomes, I think, one of two things when you mention the guys they've hung on to. It's either they're convinced that those guys still have enough left to be worth investing in at age 28, 29, 30 in a league that is getting younger, or it's we don't want to admit that this didn't pan out exactly the way that we wanted because doing that means that the pick in the first place was not optimized to the degree that it could be. And everybody misses on picks. I get that. But if you are hanging on to guys because you don't want to admit you're wrong, I think that's almost worse than hanging on because you think you're right and you're mistaken about that. I mean, if you know that we didn't get it on this guy and we're hanging on because of optics, that that's a, 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 easy way to get to where you are, which is stuck and not sitting there with the roster in a spot where there's a lot of good young talent to be mined. Andrew, that, that defensive line, you know, discussion you were just going through a couple minutes ago kind of reminds me of what happened with the offensive line previous to that, where they hit on a couple late rounders, you know, we're thinking back to guys like a John Sullivan or even like a Brandon Fusco who played reasonably well, you know, after being seventh round pick, sixth round picks. And then they started thinking, ah, oh, we can do this all the time. That's how we're going to fix our offensive line. It kind of feels like that's happened with the defensive line where they haven't invested nearly enough. I mean, what when was the last time they used a high pick on the defensive line? Am I just, am I forgetting guys or has it been a long no, time? No, you're not. They have not taken a defensive lineman higher than the third round since Sharif Floyd, I believe. Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong on that. I can't think of, I don't think they've taken anybody. I think the last time they even used a third round pick was Daniel Hunter. So uh, yeah, I, I think Sharif Floyd would have been the last one in the first or second. No, they've got uh, Patrick Jones sitting on the bench all year. Yeah. Um, yep. So he would have been the first one since Hunter, but <laughs> so. I, no one higher than the third since Sharif Floyd, I believe. And that just speaks to, and, and here's the thing, Wyatt Davis might be a fine guard and we wouldn't know it. And, and it's not to say that the coaching staff should know it by what he does in practice or doesn't do, because it took Garrett Bradbury getting COVID for them to bench him. 
And, and for Mason yeah. Cole, a guy who admittedly hasn't necessarily been lights out, but he, he's been better to the coaching staff's admission than Garrett Bradbury was. So I just think that the, these third round picks, perhaps there's not a greater indictment than the Patrick Jones pick where you need a defensive end. Like yesterday, you've been, you've been signing Eddie Yarborough, Tayshawn Bauer off the Patriots practice squad. You need that production. You have a third round pick who did pretty well at Pitt who's sitting there and you won't put him on the field more than six to 12 snaps a game. And I just think that I don't understand how a coaching staff who's trying to save their job. Doesn't try to put what should be the most talented guy on the, on the bench right now in there, a guy who's worthy of the 90th overall pick to them. Unless they feel like he can't play. I mean, if, if what they are looking at is saying this guy's not getting it. And I think this, the Wyatt Davis question is the same one. If they're looking at it and saying, this guy doesn't get it. We can't put him on the field. We can't trust that he's going to be able to get the job done. Then that screams pretty loudly that you missed on those picks, at least at this point. I mean, you know, it's hard to, I think, make a complete judgment on guys until year one, but you're in this spot where you need guys to contribute because you don't have the depth and you can't afford to sign veterans that can step into those spots. Let's, Oh, Mike, go ahead. Do you have something? I was just going to say, maybe the coach is trying to embarrass the GM so that one of them keeps their job. I, that's a, a more direct way of saying this, what I'm kind of getting at. Yes, I think we're going to get to that point where it's going to be, hey, um, it's not it my fault. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> yeah, there, there's going to be a job-saving mode at some point is what you guys are saying. Um, because I think, we, I think we can see that from here, yeah. I think – I think we've heard some some rumblings of that even going into this past. Well, no, I guess it would have been the beginning of the year where Ben, one of our, uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it at a later time, I'm sure. But um, <laughs> it's a good time to do this, if yeah, uh, unless, <laughs> yeah, barring a four and one finish that gets them into the playoffs, allows them to say, "I told you so." Um, yeah, we will have time. We got plenty. We got plenty of time. So let's let's use the twenty minutes we got left. I want to talk about um, one of the guys they've decided to hang on to, and what Vikings fans have maybe thought for too long. And Anthony Barr, who has played in just eight of twenty-eight games the last two years, obviously missing fourteen last year with the torn pec, missed another game with a hamstring injury last week after missing a few games with that lingering knee issue earlier this year. Um, Ben, before we get to to you and your story that you wrote about him, he was um, the Walter Payton man of the year nominee after Eric Kendricks was last year. He's done a lot of good work off the field. We can discuss his time in Minnesota, um, both off and on the field, but I'm just curious to get Mike's thoughts initially on, on just this general question. Um, do you think Anthony Barr's time in Minnesota, this is it, if this is his last season, was it a success in terms of a first round pick? That's ah, a hard question. He's 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 been so uneven. He's been injured. I mean, he's made the Pro Bowl isn't like the ultimate, you know, barometer of success, but he's made a couple two or three Pro Bowls, right? Am I am I remembering that right? Four? So I mean I he's, he's, a couple of those might have been his injury replacement. His injury replacement. I mean, he, so he's yeah. he's got at least a reputation as being one of the better linebackers in the league. Mike Zimmer, who knows even 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 if I disagree with how he handled that last drive, uh, knows way more about defense than I do. Seems like he wants him around for the way he runs this defense. You can certainly look at who they could have drafted instead of Anthony Barr and say uh, Aaron Donald might have been a tad more useful. Hmm. I, I think I think Anthony Barr kind of in the end is a net neutral to me. There was enough good um, 
And I'm not even counting the uh, takedown of Aaron Rodgers in 2017 in the good pile because that's distasteful. Um, but he he's done enough good things for this team, and he's you know when healthy makes those kind of disruption plays. Maybe not quite enough, but close enough to enough to make me think he, he was he's far from their biggest first round mistake. That's for sure. I think he's about a net neutral to me. Ben, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I I think in the end he is going to go down if this is it, and I I'm not convinced this is it that anybody's going to lose their job. But if if they do, he will go down as the second best first round pick of the Mike Zimmer Rick Spielman partnership behind Jefferson. Behind Justin Jefferson, yes. Um, does that? That's that's, that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. Damning yeah. the faint praise, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, he he has certainly been effective. I I think you would say that he's been an effective linebacker that we hear a lot does quite a bit for their defense, just in terms of helping guys get set, kind of having this calming presence. Mike Zimmer talked about it again today, but it's an awfully big investment when you take a linebacker ninth overall that his salary is going to get set. And we've talked about this in the past, but because he was in the top 10 in the old CBA, and I think it's different now, but the old CBA, if you're in the top 10, your fifth year option is a bigger number based on, I think it's set off the transition tag. So his fifth year salary, which then shot everything else up, was higher because he's a linebacker. Well, linebackers that send that number up are guys that get paid a lot of money in three, four schemes to go rush the passer. It's guys like Justin Houston or Von Miller or you know whoever you want to talk about that ends up with 12, 13, 14 sacks a year. TJ Watt probably. Um, Barr benefited from that because he's a linebacker and the league does not distinguish between three, four, four, three linebackers. That meant big salary this fifth year. That meant a big number to negotiate off of when he hit free agency and the jets were going to pay him to be that three, four pass rusher, even though he's not been all that effective as a pass rusher over the years that then brought the Vikings number up when he had second thoughts about going to the jets and decided to come back. So it's an interesting sort of trajectory for him because they, everybody thought, and I remember when they took him, you know, Rick Spielman got up there and said, none of you guys projected that he was going to come here. And it's like, yeah, because we thought he was a, four, a three, four linebacker. And they had used players like James Harrison in Mike Zimmer's scheme that had typically been three, four players. So it was an odd fit. It was a bet that he would, make a huge difference. And I think they feel like he has. So yes, he's been effective, but when you look at ninth overall pick, the, the extension they gave him, and then even keeping him around this year, which is going to reverberate in, into next year in terms of dead money. And they have a lot of dead money already. I think to look at it from a, a finance perspective, would you say the return on investment is a net positive? Um, it's a big investment. I, I think you you'd have to look at uh, the the cost of that pretty closely before you say it's a net positive. I think it might be fair to say, yeah, it, it's a net neutral now, but would have been a positive for them had they let the Jets pay him. I would agree with that. Yeah, and they, that was a weird time too, because I mean, they had just wasn't it around the time that they had to pay Cousins on the extension, and it just seemed like 
they had to make a choice and there just wasn't going to be enough money to pay everybody. And it just seemed like everybody was agreed that Anthony Barr was the piece that had to go. And then Rob Brzezinski waved a magic wand and he was back. Well, here's what happened. I, I remember this like it was yesterday because it would have been, yeah, it would have been in 2019, right? Because it, it would have been right after they signed Cousins. They had all these moves they had to make. And it was a week that everybody's houses flooded because all the snow melted at the same time. We had this big rainstorm and it was, they had a press conference scheduled the day that they had announced his resigning and my basement had flooded. And I think Mark Craig, the same thing happened. So Andrew was the only one at the time that didn't own a house and he had to go cover the press conference while Mark and I were building on our basements. That was the same day that they had Everson Griffin waiting in the parking lot to renegotiate his contract before his base salary became guaranteed for the following year. And they were either going to cut him or bring him back on a restructured salary. So he was sitting in the parking lot until they got to the 3 p.m. deadline. They got it done. Okay, we can get that done. Now we can announce the Anthony Parr deal because we have the cap space to clear it. So that was the, the maneuver because then, yeah, he got cold feet with the Jets and decided to come back that week. And, and here we are. And I remember to, at the time hearing from somebody in the organization who was in a position to know that had said, because they'd had all these contracts that they had to get done after they signed Cousins and had all these free agents, the free agents to be Kendricks, uh, Rhodes, Griffin, Linval, Joseph, Diggs. Barr was like the last one in the green room. And I remember somebody telling me, when we signed Cousins, we knew we were going to lose Kendricks or Barr, and we picked to keep Kendricks. And that then meant they had made their peace with it until Barr had second thoughts and they said, ah, forget it, let's bring it back. So uh, very, very odd set up for him over the years here you know mike zimmer talks all the time about he's um one of my favorite players he's the first draft pick but they also had the thing where they didn't sign him and and uh let him hang out there for a long time so it's uh it's, it's an interesting trajectory for him to to say the least yeah and i think his public relationship with zimmer was about as up and down as his play sometimes because you had that moment in december 2016 where it was a pretty bad year for the team they go eight and eight miss the playoffs they really collapse at the end there and zimmer says bar's got a tendency to coast in games and that was after bar i think it played through a broken hand um yeah it might have been 2015 or 16 kind of gutted through something there and and also played through just numerous injuries throughout his career but it does speak to what coaches thought of and still think of him at times where, yeah, you see that physicality, that six foot five, six, you know, I remember a game against the giants. I think it was Monday nighter in 2015. It might've been or 16, actually it was 16. So it was during that five and zero start that year where bar knocked out a giants tight end. Um, it was himself like six, six and knocked him out of the line of scrimmage to a point where you just like, that would have been on jacked up on ESPN back before that was not allowed and realize that was a bad thing to be glorifying. Um, but the dude can play like that. And then it, you just see him disappear in stretches. And I think that's kind of what speaks to just that, you know, him being gone for 20 of the last 28 games, sometimes you don't notice because in games, it seems like he's gone as well. And that's, that's the kind of flabbergasting thing about his career where you just didn't see, you saw the physical potential, but you didn't see it translate into consistent splash plays, consistent game wrecking, the same way. And, and I wonder how much of that had to do with Zimmer's scheme and what he was asked to do in it or what had to do with just his effort and, and just in general, his approach. Um, because he was, I mean, as, as far as a pass rusher, Ben and I went back and forth on this off, off air about how 
Um, they obviously brought him in, tried to turn him in from an edge rusher in college to a stack linebacker, but still wanted to make him a featured blitzer and, and one of their best pass rushers. And so he would work in summers with the defensive line. He would work on his pass rushing moves. He would try to become a better pass rusher. And I think he kind of peaked in 2016, 17, when PFF really loved him as far as his efficiency as a blitzer and, and his rapport with Kendricks and Harrison Smith and the way they can disguise things that all fed into that as well. But where has that been the last few years? Like we 2018, 19, they were pretty good defensively in most metrics, but Barr was not a huge part of that. And, and I just, I think we have seen kind of his pass rushing fall off that productivity fall off. And that all feeds into, I think a lot of fans, Mike, just kind of saying, all right, here's the door, Anthony, walk right through it. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, you're right. I think if, if his tenure would have ended after the 2018 season, I guess it would have been because 19 was when they signed into that extension. If it had just been those five seasons, I think um, I think people would say Anthony Barr was a pretty good linebacker. And I think when you factor in those last three years in between the you know the lack of production and the you know and the injuries, it 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 definitely takes a, a bite out of his whole career to the point where I'd say, you know, kind of like I said, the the net neutral on, on Anthony Barr. Yeah, and Ben, I'd be remiss, and we shouldn't mention, obviously, him being named Walter Payton Man of the Year. Um, Yeah, just talk a little bit, I guess, about his work uh, off the field and why he was kind of given this. And and what really, too, is almost sometimes used by the team as kind of a parting gift. I'm not saying this always happens, but sometimes they use this as kind of an achievement award for a guy's uh, community work throughout his career with the team. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that here, but that is in no way to suggest that he doesn't deserve it. I mean, he's done a lot of important work for a long time. And I've written quite a bit about the Viking social justice efforts over the last few years. And, you know, one of the reasons I thought as this was announced that, Hey, this is an important story to cover is I, I don't feel like personally I have, written a lot about what he's done. I I have talked to him about some of the social justice stuff that the Vikings have been involved in. He was, he and Eric Kendricks were two of the players that got on that video that the league kind of produced without Roger Goodell's knowledge to challenge Roger Goodell after George Floyd was killed last year and say, you need to do more than just give lip service to this. You need to actually do something about matters of systemic injustice in the United States. So he's been involved in this for a long time and his foundation has done a lot of very important work to help people that grew up in the same situation that he did as children of single parents who are trying to make enough money to get an education where you can make enough money to actually be able to live in this country. So he's, he's been there. He's been involved in that cause for pretty much his entire career. And I think knew he wanted to do that pretty much right away. So it was, it was well-deserved. Um, it was interesting to hear a little bit about Eric Kendrick's own role in this as good of friends as they are. It sounded like when Barr found out it was after a, like kind of a mock game on Saturday and a, and a walkthrough and he's like, and they said, Hey, we got one more thing for you to do. And he's kind of like, okay, you know, as most players are, I, I want to get out of here. I want to probably go enjoy a little bit of time before uh, we go to the hotel on Saturday night. And so he comes in and it sounds like his mom was there. Some of the, the people he's helped through, Raise the bar in the Jeremiah program were there. And then Eric Kendricks is there wearing a 55 jersey that has a man of the year nameplate on the back. So Kendricks was as excited for bar as anybody else. And Kendricks got a lot of attention, deservedly so, for 
his work last year, his advocacy, especially Barr is not as outspoken about it. He's not as, you know, sort of the bubbly personality that Kendricks is. He's more understated. That probably has shifted more of the attention towards Kendricks, but it, it, it in no way invalidates the work Barr has done. And I think there's a recognition of the value of that with the team giving him this award when it would have been very easy to just give it to Kendrick again and give him another chance to win the Walter Payton man of the year, which he did not win last year. So I think there's an understanding in the, in the building of what he has meant. And this was certainly an acknowledgement of that quite possibly uh, before he's on his way out the door. It's well said. Um, all right, let's end here. Some questions. Got some quick ones. Lee wants to know, are changes coming if the Vikings lose on Thursday night? Um, ben, you have a chance to catch your breath here, but do you think do you think the Vikings would jump this quickly at five and eight to make a move, or does it make more sense with four games left after that to ride this season out regardless of how it finishes? I don't see it after Thursday. I think if they lose this, I think they stay with the guys they have. It's just it it doesn't seem like it's going to change all that much unless you want to see, because I think Andre Patterson would be the logical interim coach. If you want to see him in charge for a couple of weeks and you're seriously considering the possibility that he would be next, um, then maybe you do it. But I think at this point, I would bet it's more likely that they ride it out, especially, I mean, the last time we went through this, they knew in advance they were going to fire Leslie Frazier. And there was certainly it was heading that way. Rick Spielman was sort of making the case of, Hey, we need to make a change here. And they let him coach it out. There was not a move to make the, the decision in the middle of the, in the middle of the year. So I think if we're there. I, I don't see it unless they would say, we're going to blow out the entire thing. Spielman and Zimmer are both going to go during the season. I just, I don't know what you get out of that. I think you can already kind of be back channeling and, and getting a list of candidates together. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't see it happening off of a loss Thursday night. Yeah, I think the, the best point there is that certainly you can be doing your own um, search, conducting your own search, regardless of who's currently coaching the team. Um, Mike, I want to start with you on this question. Jay Thomas wants to know, convince the listeners why a change at quarterback either needs to happen or why Kirk Cousins needs to stay. And we haven't talked a lot about Kirk in the sense that once again, he put them in position to win uh, and the team let him down as opposed to what had happened the previous few years where he was letting them down uh, in these games. I, I mean, it just, it feels like there's a confluence of things that are happening here where it feels like when there's, when you're trending towards an organizational fresh start. And again, if they lose Thursday, I think Ben's on, on, I think I'm on the side of, of what Ben's saying, that even if they lost Thursday, I don't know if there'd be a change that would come Friday morning. I don't know if this is the kind of regime that would get that kind of treatment, I guess. They've been around a long time. It's kind of a, That's kind of a message that you send more than it is a practical thing you would do to try to save a season at that point. And, and Ben's probably right. You would probably be more inclined to ride things out unless you wanted to give Andre Patterson, that kind of audition. But if, if we do head in that direction, if this season, say it gets to seven and 10 or something like that, they miss the playoffs, they decide to change the regime. It just, it does not make sense to me to keep the quarterback because you're going to be going through 
a bit of a rebuild here at that point. You've got a, a, a veteran roster. You're going to have to overhaul your defense. I know the offense is a bright spot this season. It's, it's been the better side of the ball, but can you justify paying a quarterback that much and continuing to pay him that much through some transition years, or are you better off just starting over at that position, trying to draft someone, maybe piecing it together for a year with, you know, a, a kind of veteran stand in who's, you know, half to a third of the price of, of a Kirk cousins and, and going that direction. That makes a lot more sense to me than trying to convince yourself that an entirely new system should be built around Kirk cousins. Yeah. I think the only reason you would do it to keep him would be if you're whoever your new front office head coach are, if they believe that cousins is the future, because I think if he's not, he's worth more to you in terms of a trade chip where you can maybe get a couple of high picks that you need than he is as a one-year placeholder at it's a, that's an expensive uh, placemat at $45 million. So yeah, I, you, you need $10 million to be traded him, which is not a huge number, especially if you went and found a guy to play for, you know, 10 or 12 and you're still cutting that cost. And, and if you can get a lot back, Heck, maybe enough that you can move up. It's not a good quarterback class in next year's draft, but yeah, maybe you get the placeholder and then you move forward from there. But uh, or if there's one guy you like, you can move up and get him. I I think he's more valuable as a trade chip if this whole thing changes over, unless whoever's next thinks he's the guy. Yeah, there's a consolation in what looks like a second straight losing season. It's that Kirk has really upped a trade value yep. from yep. that 2020. I mean, October 2020, where he's throwing three picks against the previous winless Atlanta Falcons. And if you told me a year and a half later, we'd be here talking about Kirk in this manner, um, I would not have expected it. It's been a heck of a last, I don't know, 16 starts or whatever for Kirk Cousins. And it's That'll help the Vikings front office, whoever's running it, if it's still Rick Spielman or not, and they decide to move him because that's a one-year $35 million rental for somebody. And if it's a team that decides they want to extend him, then it's, it's even cheaper on the books for the, for the following year. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, and, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. Uh, we will be coming back to you next from U.S. Bank Stadium Thursday night. Hang on, I got one more. What's, what's going on? I got a – Jeff emailed me. A question. Jeff has started to email questions here in the last few weeks, so let's uh, let's throw that one in there. Um, he said, "I think Spielman is as much to blame as Zimmer. We have one okay cornerback, assuming he means Peterson, and many corners who can't tackle in bounds or cover. If you were ownership, what got what guys would you bring back uh, in 2022 who were on one-year deals?" And then he asked, "If we go one and three, what would our draft pick be? I mean, to be in the top ten somewhere?" Uh, he signs it very sad, Jeff, and then he has a little. Uh, sad face emoji. <laughs> yeah, boy, that's that's a good question because um, not a lot of those guys have worked out. I think Mackenzie Alexander's played pretty poorly recently. I think Xavier Woods as well. Patrick Peterson, if you would want to, just to mentor young corners, but he talked about coming here just to extend his career under Mike Zimmer, and yeah, it doesn't seem like Mike Zimmer's going to be long for for the wear here. So as far as one year defensive players, Ben, Nick I don't. Vigil. Nick yeah, Vigil. Nick, there you go. There you go. How about that? That's the answer. Nick Vigil. Sign him to a five-year deal. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I have a hard time coming up with a name other than that. I mean, I think an affordable linebacker is you're going to need him because Barr won't probably be here. Um, 
yeah, I think that's probably where I, I don't, I don't know that I'd look at anybody in the secondary that's on a one-year deal and say, yeah, let's do it again. I, I just don't see it with Woods. I don't see it with Alexander. And I think Peterson would say, yeah, I think I'm going to take Definitely my not Rashad elsewhere. Breland. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think Rashad Breland is uh, going to be deserving of that either. Yeah, nor nor um, Anthony Barr was effectively on a one-year deal. Sheldon Richardson was brought back in on a one-year deal. And these guys were all, they were supposed to be just most of them, stop gaps to get you back into a playoff contending team, veteran stop gaps. And uh, they've been stop gaps instead for a middling team. We'll see. And we're, next time we'll talk to you from U.S. Bank Stadium after Thursday night's game against the Steelers. We'll see what uh, next step this season takes. Maybe you should get off the podcast.